0: walking down the aisle when I noticed all these other people were walking down the aisle at the same time and what had happened was while I was in the stairwell they gave an invitation an altar call yeah it's an altar call and I didn't hear that of course so I was a little embarrassed you know and I paused halfway down the the aisle thinking "Uh uh-oh I this is a bad time to go and I started to go back and people were going go on son go on don't let satan hold you back you know
1: to the weird Christian podcast. I am your host Samuel Delgado and this is episode 10. I interview Scott Mitchell. Scott is a former road musician turned pastor whose love for the word of God has led him to start a podcast called Bible Mysteries. We get into some of these mysteries of the Bible including earth before the 7-day creation, the sea of glass, Leviathan and much more. So with no further ado, let's get weird.
0: My background is uh, born and raised in South Louisiana, Baton Rouge, um, with a non-churchgoing family. Uh, My parents rarely ever darkened the door of a church unless someone died or got married. Right. Um, But I had uh, my maternal grandparents were very faithful believers, and uh, they lived in the same city that we did. So all my years growing up, my grandfather uh, made sure that he mixed in jack chick tracks and crusaders comic books with the archie comics and things that he used to buy for us and we'd yeah. watch and meet them on the weekends so i know they were praying for me and, and my yeah. brothers and sister and uh, uh <clears throat> they often in- invited us to go to church and on occasion went with him my grandfather to church so i only had a very limited exposure to the christian environment um uh and it was organized religion but it was something i, I did learn there was a god and i learned um, a little bit about uh, the Bible was the word of God, but I, I will admit to knowing almost nothing about Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, and whenever I did attend the Sunday school class, as infrequently as it was, I always felt like an outsider because they were talking about people that I didn't know David and yeah. Abraham and Jacob and Noah. And I just, I had only the most cursory knowledge of it. So, um, one of those times uh, when I did attend church with my grandfather, and it was a Southern Baptist church, um, I would often sit with my little brother up in the balcony of this large congregation, and they were televised at, at the time. The cameras oh. were these huge, <laughs> you know, yeah. big cameras on these big giant tripods. Yeah. And I, I re- often tell people, I recall one time um, the service seemed to be going long uh, we usually sat up there and just cut up and scribbled on the Lottie Moon offerings and yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. didn't pay much attention. But I needed to use the restroom and I, I didn't want to go because I was intimidated by the big cameras. I was afraid they were going to see me getting up out of my seat. You know, yeah. and, oh, everybody knows he's going to the bathroom. <clears throat> but it got to the point where I couldn't wait any longer, so I went to the restroom in the in the men's uh, 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 the upstairs balcony area in the men's room, and it was locked. So it was one of those things where, well, you've got to go now. So I went down the stairwell to the first floor, went through the sanctuary to go to the back of the sanctuary where the other men's room was. And I was walking down the aisle when I noticed all these other people were walking down the aisle at the same time. And what had happened was while I was in the stairwell, they gave an invitation. An altar call yeah it's an altar call and i didn't hear that of course so i was a little embarrassed you know and i paused halfway down the the aisle thinking "Uh uh-oh i I, this is a bad time to go and i started to go back and people were going go on son go on don't let satan hold you back you know and uh so the end result was i was sort of there under false pretenses you know yeah i I, but at that point i was too embarrassed to admit why i was really there so i ended up going to the front yeah to the altar call. Uh, and, and I didn't know why I was there, you know, I, I just didn't want to, you know, confess that I was just on my way to the men's room, you know, yeah. so um, the next Sunday uh, service they did baptisms and I went and did the baptism route and everything else and, and they told me you're now a Christian. And nobody really ever asked me or explained to me, have you trusted Christ or do you know what this means? Or, you know, my grandfather did, though. He says, are you sure? Do you know what you're doing? And of course, I was like 13. So I said, oh, yeah, I know what I'm doing because a 13-year-old knows everything, right? Exactly. But um, I did, in my mind, play Christian from that point forward. You know, I I wanted to know God and I, I believed in God, but I didn't really know his son and I didn't really know what I was doing you know? Yeah. So uh, fast forward a couple more years and I'm in high school or a few more years, I'm in high school. And uh, my sister starts to date a guy from high school whose father is a preacher. And she starts to attend a Bible class that he held in his home. I, uh, she invited me to join us because she thought you might like this. And in my mind, I was thinking, well, you know, this is probably some cult, you know, because they're meeting nah, at a home, right? Because back, back in the 70s, that was kind of a rare thing. Yeah. You know, so I, I had had enough of the, the religious sort of uh, denominational hierarchy to think that, oh, you're supposed to meet in a church, you know. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> so I went just to make sure it wasn't some crazy Mooney cult or something like that. Yeah. And heard a man actually preach the Bible for the first time in my life. And, and it was covering a subject that was really needful for me at the time in my life. Uh, something that I had been having disturbing dreams and this helped me get through an issue. And, um, you know, I, I was too young to understand what was going on at the time, but I knew it had a lot to do with the way my father's relationship was to me and those type of things. Yeah. So uh, I started attending the Bible class and began to see, see some things in the Bible, became very close friends with the, the boy that my sister was dating. Yeah. Uh, she ended up going on to marry another, another man who became my brother-in-law. But that young man and I became best friends through high school and part of college before we went separate ways. So I studied a lot of Bible during that time, but still did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I could have told you the words of the gospel, But I'd never come to that point in my life when I realized that he died for me. Yeah. So by the time I got to college, I was about 20 years old I finally realized there was a, I got some bad news one day from an old friend and um, uh, who called me. And then um, I pulled out some Bible cassette tapes that I'd been collecting over the last few years of different preachers that I liked. And one just did that day just bugged me. And there was a, there was a cassette tape by a preacher named Brother E.C. Moore, and it was called Lost Believers. And I thought, wait a minute, how could you be lost if you're a believer? Oh, yeah. You know. And it was intended to be a provocative title because it yeah. wasn't talking about you can lose your salvation, which is what I thought it might have been. It was yeah. talking about there are people that believe in Jesus historically but had never come to a saving knowledge of him where they had a relationship with him as their savior. And I thought, that's me. That's what I'd been missing. And I got, I tell people I became lost that day. I finally realized that I was a sinner in need of a savior wow. and I trusted Christ June of 1983. I don't remember the day, but I remember that year. And I remember that time in my dorm room in Nashville, Tennessee, hearing that p- cassette tape of lost believers And the passage that hit me was John chapter um, four, uh, where Christ said, search the scriptures. They are they which testify of me, but you will not come to me that you might have life. Now, the context was he was talking to the Pharisees. I I may be talking John chapter five. I'm sorry. But um, it kind of hit me as I thought I knew some Bible, even though I really didn't. But I thought my knowledge of the Bible was what made me a Christian. And it wasn't. What made me a Christian was a relationship with Jesus Christ. So once I got saved, then a hunger for the word grew in me in a completely different manner. And uh, it took some time, but I finally realized there was nothing more important to me than the word of God.
1: Awesome, wow. Um, I love that. And so, <clears throat> so speak, uh, so how did you get from there to um, your pastoral ministry?
0: Yeah, so went through several career changes. Um, I studied music in college, so I was a performance major and ended up getting offers to go on the road, and I used to tour, so we're talking way back in the 1980s. I was a guitar player, touring musician, different bands, different artists, and I quickly came to realize I didn't care for the road. Being gone all the time, eating bad food, getting little sleep in hotels, going from one venue to the next in in great cities, but you don't get to see any of the city, just didn't appeal to me, you know? So I started looking for another route and the dexterity I had on guitar transferred well to stenography, which is a machine shorthand, a court reporters, you know, and Ooh. courtroom deposition. So I went into legal support and I became a court reporter. Did that for about eight years. And I found that was extremely stressful for me. Uh, and what I think was happening was the Lord had given me a pastor's heart. And, you know, when your job is to just take down every word verbatim in a deposition and you've got, for example, maybe a child custody battle going on and your heart is breaking because you see this man and this woman at odds with each other and using their child as the battering, as the softball going back between Mm -hmm. them, you know. And you just want to cry out and tell them what they need in their life is Christ. And you can't say anything because you've got to get every word they say and record it. And I think that began to wear on me. And that's when I think God began to show me you, I'm calling you for something different. So I left that realm and I started uh, coming under conviction that maybe God was calling me to preach somewhere in my early thirties. It was when I began to feel that way. And I ultimately reached out to that very same preacher who preached that message that yeah. I heard on that cassette tape. He became a dear friend. He's gone to be with the Lord now, but I called him, he lived in Pensacola, Florida. And I said, uh, brother Moore, I think God's calling me to preach. And he said, if I can find any way to talk you out of it, I'm going to try. <laughs> really? Cause, Cause he said, if, if you could do anything else, would you take the money? And I couldn't think of anything I wanted to do more than preach. Yeah. And that's when he said, Well, run from it as hard as you can. And when you can't run anymore, God called you to preach. (laughs) Make sure that, yeah, you really what you wanted to do. So that's really kind of what I did. I ran from it. And I actually had been running from it for some time, you know. Yeah. Probably since I got saved, there was probably God was letting me know. But um, trying to find my happiness in different career paths finally broke me. And the Lord broke me to say, no, you're not gonna be satisfied doing anything until you do what I called you to do. So I ended up, uh, started preaching, traveling from Louisiana to Austin, Texas once a month to teach a class that had invited me there Hmm. through another dear brother, Jerry Lockhart, who now lives in Alabama. But um, he was out here in Texas at the time and his schedule was filled already with other classes he was teaching, but he knew of a need in Austin. And it was funny because he invited me out to preach one time and I thought I was just going to come for a weekend. I, I did a message and then he stood up and he said, Okay, y'all been praying for a preacher. Scott feels called to preach. Y'all need to talk. And he sat down. <laughs> and it was like talking about <laughs> throw you to the curb. <clears throat> but it was funny because it's like, well, if you feel called to preach, here's your door. Yeah. And God showed me a door that day. And that's and ultimately within about a year or two, we ended up moving and uh, to where I live now in Seguin, Texas. Started Bible classes, used to travel, then eventually decided we weren't going to move after all to Austin. We stayed right here about an hour south of it. And then we had a group here that said, let's form a church. And so we did. Awesome. Wow. Uh, Cool. So tell me a little bit, a little bit more about uh, Grace Family Bible Church. Yeah. The Grace Family Bible Church. We probably started about the year two thousand three or two thousand four. I moved to Texas in the year uh, nineteen ninety nine. So within about three or four years after being here for a few uh, t- years and teaching Bible classes, a-, a core group of people in the city I lived in at the time, because we were renting until we thought the door- Lord would open a door to move to the bigger area like Austin. Yeah. And uh, but that didn't work out. He wanted me here. And uh, the core group that was meeting in my home sort of said, you know what, why don't we just start an assembly here? And we wow. met just about three or four families, but we started uh, and then uh, we were renting a place. It was like a local senior center and we would yeah. meet, rent that for Sunday mornings. And then uh, one day, a couple of visitors came in and when afterwards, you know, I went to meet them and asked them how they found us. And they told me, well, we went to our regular church and the door was closed with a for sale sign in the yard. (laughs) So there was some issue that happened with that particular church, but I asked them where it was and they told us and we drove out to look at the building. And sure enough, it was a property that we thought, well, we're not ready for that. It's way too much property and too much church for us, as small as we are. But we called and found out how much they wanted for the property and lo and behold, the Lord opened a door and another individual stepped forward and they said, Hey, let me finance this property for you. And you can just, wow. I'll, I'll hold the note for you till you can get going. And eventually we got it refinanced with a bank and then we've been there ever since. Wow. that is Yeah. Cool. So we're a Bible church, uh, very, you know, fundamental, no frills. Uh, we will sing a hymn or two, but they're usually the old fashioned ones. You know the royalty free, license free, but I love those anyway. And uh, even though I'm a musician, we don't have uh, we. It it turns out later on, we sold the property to a charter school because we had more property than we needed. Quite frankly, Uh, and we're still about maybe 50 people. uh, It's so it's a small Bible church. On any given Sunday, if we had everybody there, we might have 50 people. But a need arose where a charter school was trying to get established and they wanted to lease our property from us. And we turned around and said, you know what, why don't you buy it and we'll lease it from you. So we pay a very nominal lease to meet in the same assembly room we've always met. Uh, We just uh, it's It's a preschool during the week. So we go in on the weekends and set it up and transition it into a sanctuary for our service. Yeah. And then when the messages are done on Sunday morning, we all pitch in and turn it back into a preschool. Wow. It takes us about 15 minutes and we're done, you know, so it's, it's been a real blessing.
1: Wow. Yeah, that's, that's really neat. Um, so I, um, you know, first heard about, you found out you about on coast to coast. I imagine, um, you know, uh, um, so how, how did you get on coast to coast? Was it through the podcast?
0: Yeah, well, it's it's kind of an interesting story. And I'll make it really short because I don't want to muddy it with too many details. Okay, But I work a job in tech support uh, during the day, Monday through Friday. Yeah. So I'm not just a full-time pastor. You know, I also work, my wife works her, a full-time job as well. And in in one case, there was a, a customer who called in and he had an an issue with his computer. So I was doing my normal tech support thing, helping this customer. And um, as it turns out, it took multiple calls to solve the problem because of the nature of the issue that they were having. Yeah. Uh, And when that call like that comes in, sometimes you get to banter a little bit with your customer and you get to know them a little bit. Um, As we were waiting for certain processes to finish, you know, we chit chatted and come to find out he was a guitar player. I was a guitar player. So we hit up this rapport. Yeah. Well, we talked a lot about guitar as we were continuing to solve the problem. And when it was all said and done, he said, listen, you've been a great help to me. Thank you. Uh, do you mind if I send you a, a link to this guitar builder in his area? He lived in Oregon. And he said, I, I I play his guitars. I think they're wonderful. And I said, yeah, by all means. So I gave him my personal email and he sent me a link to these guitars and he did a little thank you note. And he said, oh, and P.S., I'm the guy that started the show Coast to Coast with Art Bell many years ago. What He says, I don't know if I told you this. And I was like, you didn't tell me this. I didn't know I was brushing with greatness here because I used to listen to that show in different jobs I took where I stayed up late, you know? Yeah. And so he was the guy that found Art Bell in a local radio station and took him nationwide. No way. And he was since retired uh, and, and he's a dear man and, and he's a Jewish man, uh, which is which brings me to the funny story of the next part. So um, I just kept his email in my files and thought we had a wonderful conversation, but I thought, wow, wow. I actually talked to the guy that started a show that I knew something about, you know? Yeah. And then, uh, come to be about a year and a half later is when my wife and I sat down and really started thinking hard about doing the podcast. And I tried, I thought about it before and was going to attempt it before and even had a lot of equipment, but I just wasn't ready yet with exactly the format of what I wanted to do. Yeah. So my wife, I call her brainstorm. She's such a wonderful gift from God and she has such great ideas. And, and she said, um, what if you did kind of a format where you had a co-host and you're since you're older you could have a younger co-host that's where Zena came into the picture yeah and she's a friend of my daughter's I met through that but before any of that happened I was thinking about what if I did it kind of like you know I was thinking in my mind the X-Files and Coast to Coast and sort of a mystery to it all to appeal yeah. to people that may have never picked up a Bible, okay. but yeah, talk about those things in the Bible. And when I read the name of your podcast, Samuel Weird Christians, I thought, okay, we're not the only ones thinking like this. You know, we got a kindred mind there. Yeah. So that's exactly the same with me. I was kind of thinking there's some interesting things in the Bible that a lot of people don't know about. Yeah. And not just the standard religious sort of thing that people are used to hear. So I uh, then I thought. I wonder if this man that I befriended through my job would be interested in sort of being like a sounding board since he had years of experience in radio. Would he mind giving me some criticism and tell me, is this a terrible idea, whatever? And I emailed him with that email that I saved. And I said, you know, I don't know if you remember me, but uh, we talked and we talked about computers and guitars and things. Would you be interested in this? And he wrote me back. He said, yes. And he gave me his phone number. So I called him and I said, well, when you told me you had started the Art Bell Show, I want you to know I was totally flabbergasted. And I said, that's what made me think of you. And I don't know if I told you this, but I'm also a pastor at a local Bible church. And you could almost hear him go, oh, (laughs) like, oh, great, you know, because he thought I was going to pick his brain about doing a podcast about guitars, Uh since that's what we spent a lot of time discussing in our Mm -hmm, calls, you know. And so I said, well, no, here's what I'm wanting to do. I want to call it Bible mysteries. And I laid out the format when well, he goes, "Hmm." he said, so what would be a topic you would talk about? And I basically gave him the synopsis of the very first episode we did, which is called The World That Was, yeah. where I talk about the angelic world before God made man. Yeah. And he stopped me in the middle of it. And he goes, hang on, hang on. he said, I got to stop you right there. I need to go get my wife. She needs to hear this no way so and remember this is a retired gentleman he's heard it all you know he's heard yeah, yeah. everything oh, yeah. all the kooks you've, you've heard of coast to coast so you know yeah. there's some wacky things they talk about right yeah and he got her back and i said okay could you start over and i did it again and at the end he said scott we need to get you on the show no. <laughs> <laughs> wow. so that's how i came to that was just a, the lord totally working through it and um ultimately he did he gave me great advice he said do a pilot episode. Uh, let me hear it. Send it to me. And after he heard it, he said, okay, let's get 12 episodes under your belt. He says, because I can promise you when you're on that show, the next day, your subscribership is going to increase tenfold. Yeah. And he was not kidding. Yeah. We went from just a few dozen to a thousand overnight Yeah. after that first appearance, you know, and uh, since then, he's been a tremendous help to me, number one, because we still talk a lot about guitars with each other, and we keep up with each other personally. And then um, the last time I wrote him about something concerning his guitars, uh, he wrote me back and he said, isn't it about time for you to do another show, another episode on Coast to Coast? And I said, you know, I'm willing anytime they want to. So the producer, Lisa, reached out to me again this past week and said yeah what time is you available so we're going to be on this coming thursday i'm not sure when this podcast will air but thursday the 6th from midnight to two on coast to coast a.m okay Georgia. yeah
1: so this will air this is friday
0: so oh, okay well, I'll, I'll publish this friday so so this will be after the Soon after the fact i'll be sleeping yeah. probably catching up on sleep yeah. after staying yeah. up late by the time you air this
1: oh well that's a great story um and and your wife is a, a Is a wise woman because that was the first thing I thought of when listening to the podcast. I'm like, this is so genius the format, just because it's has such an appeal. Because as a listener, you 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 feel like you're being taught, and Zena is is like your voice, like the listener's voice.
0: Well, that you're right, Samuel. That was that was my wife's idea. And um, it, she was the one that thought we needed a co-host because it's not a call-in program. I don't have the ability to do that right now. And I've got a daughter who's about the same age as Zena who uh, worked with her at one point and they were doing, you know, they were in school, but they were working part-time and um, she befriended Zena. And so uh, she had her over one night and usually when my daughter would bring friends over to the house and they might you know order pizzas and watch movies or something. Uh, my wife and I, Sandy, we usually stay in the back of the house and give them some, you know, latitude to, to not feel like the parents are there. And, uh, but going back and forth, maybe from the back of the house to the kitchen for food or something or snacks, my wife was hearing Zena talking to my daughter and she walked in there with just this excited look at her. She goes, Scott, she has got to be your co-host. She's perfect. Her personality is perfect. And I would say, How do you even know she wants to do a podcast? you know? And sure enough, uh, I, uh, the, day, the next day I texted my daughter and I said, Would you mind if I got Zena's phone number? And she texted back and she said, May I ask why? Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> and so I said, Well, the truth is, I want to ask her. She'd like to co host the show with me. And so when she got in touch with her, it turned out Zena was actually thinking about doing her own podcast. What? I'm telling you. And so she had a, she had a different, a subject in mind, of course, and a completely different approach she wanted to take, but yeah. she wasn't sure how to start because she didn't have any experience. And I said, well, come gain experience with me. We'll yeah. grow and learn together. And then when you're ready to do your thing, I'll help you every way I can. Yeah. So she's agreed and everybody loves her. I just think she's, a, she's the delight of the show to me, you know? <clears throat> yeah.
1: yeah it, 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 it's great. She'll, uh, you know, she's, a great springboard to ask, ask questions and keep the thing moving. And it's just, you, you kind of feel um, almost like you're, you're right there alongside with her. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it, it I, I loved it, but I, I want to go back to that, uh, that first episode actually, um, mm-hmm. you know, Urs. you know,
0: I forget what his title, but you know, I, 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 I think the title was the world that was, it's still our number one rated episode so far. Wow. Out okay. Of 35 episodes. Yet. Wow.
1: Okay. So yeah. Um, tell us, tell us a little bit about, uh, about that topic.
0: Right. Well, I felt like that would be the, the good, uh, starting, uh, pilot episode since that's what kind of caught the attention of this dear man mm-hmm. that got yeah. me started with art with, with, uh, George Nori, excuse me. I keep saying Art Bell cause I go back that far. Um, but George Nori and coast to coast, So um, I believe and teach that when we read in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth period that sentence encapsulates creation. I differ a little bit from many, many fundamental Christian teaching teachers who take the next verse that says, and the earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep and uh, the the standard creation story explanation is God created heaven and earth. And here is how he did it. Right. He started with this mess of a formless, shapeless mass covered in water. And then he brought out the dry land. I contend that's not at all. What happened that. Uh, and, and by the way, when I say this, I am not a gap theorist at all. Yeah. Uh, there, there are people that uh, there are young earth creationists. There are gap theorists. There's you know, whatever different categories. And, um, most often, let's say a young earth creationist will tend to lump anybody that believes this was a flood in Genesis one, two, as a gap theorist, a theorist. I'm not a gap theorist. I don't believe in a gap to explain evolution or uniformitarianism or anything like that. Yeah. I simply believe that what I know about the scriptures, you know? And so what I say is the fact that there's darkness and the fact that the earth is without form and void means something happened. God didn't need to start with anything imperfect. Isaiah 45, 18 said he created the earth to be inhabited. And Job 30 says that when God laid the foundations of the earth, that the the angels sang for joy and the sons of God shouted. So, and there's many other passages we could go through and we do in that episode, but the bottom line is God created the original heaven and earth To be together unified and the angels inhabited the earth and that's why they sang and shouted because it was their home and one of those angels happened to be lucifer who was the anointed cherub of ezekiel 30 (coughs) excuse me ezekiel 28 and uh he had a lot of glory and power but it wasn't enough yeah he wanted to be god and you know the story so he launched a rebellion against the throne of god and a third of the angels joined him in that rebellion and the resulting perversion and devastation of, or, or, or corruption of God's original creation was done from those. And therefore God judged that earth and punished it with a flood. And from that flood, he brings out the restored earth and the real irony to me. And I wish people would get this because when you miss this, you miss not only God's glory, but his sense of humor, yeah. you know, Lucifer was said to be the anointed cherub, the sum of wisdom, perfect in beauty. Every precious stone was his covering. He must have been a magnificent creature. Yeah. You know, Uh, and then he defies God wanting to be God and God casts him down and he takes his throne and he takes some mud and he forms it into a man. And he gives Adam dominion of the planet that Lucifer used to have, and he's now king. Yeah, and Lucifer—it's as if God said to Lucifer, "See what I made you. I can do better with dirt than I did with you." And he gave the dominion to man, and incidentally, only began a redemptive program for man, ne- never for the angels, never for the fallen angels. You know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, the first time I heard heard something like this i think it was from steve Quayle, and it was mm. um it was almost like overload for me it was a lot to kind of take in
0: um yeah.
1: but it, it certainly paints you know the biblical narrative differently and yeah. you know when you look at the garden you really get a motive there for the serpent to restore oh, yeah. um ownership uh the you know adam's birthright essentially to have dominion he wants to you know usurp that um, for his own and uh,
0: absolutely steve Quayle is a gifted gifted uh, writer and speaker by the way you're you're he's tremendous i wasn't familiar with him before i came to some of this understanding so it it was so refreshing to hear men like that yeah gary stearman of prophecy watchers and Mm -hmm. others who corroborate your own, because you're thinking, I must be a kook to think Yeah, this. yeah. you know? And, but then I'm finding more and more preachers, both men and women, uh, scholars of the Bible are coming to an, a better understanding of things in the Bible that have almost been like, like a, a, a secret kept. And now yeah. as the time draws near, it's like God's opening the eyes of a lot of his people to see some things and what they really mean. You know, when we look at things like the development of AI, um, with the the, the sudden, um, I don't know if you call it a revelation, but releasing of, uh, of classified documents about unidentified flying objects by the U.S. military and other yeah. governments, yeah. you're starting to see that maybe what the Bible was talking about is in these things, you know, and, and that we're coming to a time when we might be very close to when the Lord's going to come back. Right, yeah. At least I hope so.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that's certainly my understanding. Um, so I, I, I want to go back to the, the serpent um, in the garden because mm-hmm. I, uh, I know you have a, a similar teaching and, and understanding of this. Uh, I remember as a child, of course, every storybook, Bible, you see the tree, you see a garden snake. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and we know that this snake is crafty and you know, more crafty than any other uh, you know, created animal that he made and it's talking okay. to eve um which seems to be normal to eve and so all of that uh just never really made sense to me and i think until i heard uh michael heiser's um teaching on the nikosh was the first time i had ever heard something that
0: about the serpent
1: i've always heard the serpent was uh possessing uh, and you know talking through a snake um right okay. so, so, so uh, you know, tell me about your understanding of, uh, we, we know it's Satan, right? So uh, tell me about your
0: understanding of, uh, of the serpent. Um, sure. Well, I, and I, you know, when, when you read in the end of the Bible in the book of revelation, it's funny how the serpent shows up at the beginning and at the end, you know, yeah. and in revelation 12, for example, uh, there's war in heaven. Michael and his angels will fight with the dragon and his angels and this war appears to be, um, if if I had to guess, I would say it culminates in the beginning of the final seven years of tribulation, and it and it's going to last three and a half years perhaps, mm-hmm. so that in the middle of the week Satan is cast down, mm-hmm. but when he's cast down, he's called that old serpent, the yep. dragon. Right. So that tells me well the serpent wasn't a snake, a garden yeah. snake, you know, it was a dragon, and. Well, the image of the dragon in the Book of Revelation is 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 uh, figuratively a picture of Antichrist political power and everything else. It's still a picture of Satan, you know, yeah. and the world kingdoms and empires that that unite with him. So I think that Satan in the garden was probably the dragon, which Eve would have had no reason to fear uh, yeah. because she hadn't seen anything. You know, there was no fear, there was no sin yet. Um, and then since there's nothing that indicates that the animals uh, ever had the ability to speak other than through a, um, through a supernatural mechanism such as Balaam and, and the donkey. Right. Uh, when, when God spoke to him through that, <clears throat> the indication seems to be that the serpent was a creature that could speak
1: exactly. and,
0: and therefore not a snake that suddenly was endued with the ability to speak. So I would suspect that the serpent himself was Satan, and that the crawling on the belly was not an indicator, because snakes don't eat dirt, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they eat eggs and birds and frogs and whatever. Uh, but, uh, and then some snakes climb trees and some snakes swim in the water. So it's not really fair to say that's a description of snakes because they crawl on the ground. And somebody once said, that's why women are afraid of snakes. I said, I know women that keep snakes as pets. Right. Yeah. And I know men that can't stand snakes and yeah. wouldn't set foot near one, you know. Yeah. So all those sort of uh, stereotypes really don't match. They don't match what the scriptures say. Yeah.
1: It's so, the serpent
0: and it's the dragon.
1: Yeah. Is your understanding that uh, Le- that uh, Leviathan is Satan, the Leviathan that's uh, spoken of in, in Job? It is.
0: And because and it even talks about in the Psalms that God is going to uh, break the heads of Leviathan. Yeah, and the serpent that appears, the dragon in Revelation, is a seven-headed dragon. I so I, I believe the heads of Leviathan are the seven heads of Satan. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, um, is he is he unique in that respect that he is the dragon, or do you suspect that that he is amongst um, other dragons
0: that God created? Oh, that's a great, a great question, Samuel. And I don't know about other dragons, like, uh, you know, clearly Leviathan is a picture of something because the Bible is so filled with types, you know, so while, while Abraham was a real man, he's a type of God, Isaac is a real man, but a type of Christ when i when abraham is told to sacrifice his only son we see a picture of the cross you know so the types like that that's an easy one but the there's it's more difficult to get types of satan but there's so many of him too the you could say the assyrian oppressor that's a type nebuchadnezzar a type of antichrist you know um the uh um um, i'm forgetting the name of the syrian king i want to say Sennacherib, but that's not right uh, that, that's a, that oppressed Israel is a type of Satan and the antichrist. And I apologize for Donna blank on the name I want. Um, and then, um, he's the cedar, uh, in Lebanon in another passage of scripture. Uh, he's, um, the dragon and Leviathan, as you talked about already. And also, um, pharaoh is a picture of lucifer in in respects and then you've got the king of tyrus he's called you know so there's all these types in there so to me the dragon picture of christ could be referring to an actual scaled creature and he's described in the book of job that way so i have no reason to doubt there wasn't or isn't an animal of that huge immense proportion somewhere maybe a sea serpent you know cryptozoologists go crazy over this kind of stuff but it also is a picture of his global political power. And, you know, you've got 10 kings that are coming up here soon. Uh, They might be the tech oligarchs today, uh, and rather than just kings as as we think of a king traditionally. So uh, those 10 kings that give their power one hour to the beast are probably going to be the the, um, architects of globalizing everything and taking over the monetary system the education system the health system through artificial intelligence taking advantage of things maybe like this pandemic or what they're calling the great reset uh the world economic forum I, i just see things unfolding right now that seem to be pointing everything to the direction of the appearing of the antichrist
1: yeah um okay so this is something that you may be mentioned in passing on your on your podcast, mm-hmm. and uh, it's something that I've looked into before. Um, I'm just curious to hear what you have to say about the difference between a soul and a spirit.
0: Yeah, that's a tricky tricky one to answer because it's such a abstract concept for a human mind you know i know what a rock is i know what a tree is but soul and spirit that's that's a whole other concept but when you take the the words and we'll use greek since the new testament is written in greek and we look at suke for soul and pneuma for spirit um, and they're translated for example pneuma is also translated as wind breath and air Yeah. So we get the idea from that, at least, that spirit is somewhat less tangible, perhaps, than soul, and where soul is suke or psyche, as we understand it in English, uh, and that may be more tied to or connected to the mind, if you will. But the best analogy I ever saw of the two was a pneumatic tire. So you think about like a bicycle tire. Mm -hmm. and likening the outer covering of the tire the actual tire itself is the body or soma in greek the inner tube is the soul the suke, and then the air that fills the inner tube is the spirit Mm -hmm. or right right and our bodies are similar to that we have a body soul and spirit so i think that analogy is the best one that my finite mind can wrap around right yeah So they're interconnected because you can't really have the the body without the soul. You know, it's, it's a corpse, I guess, (laughs) if it's a body without a soul, Yeah. but yet they're distinct. And that kind of gets back to the Trinity of God. You know, you've got a father and a son and a Holy ghost and they're, they agree in one and yet they're three distinct personalities, but they're one God. So maybe someday the Lord will give us the understanding to conceptualize that.
1: Yeah. Awesome. That's a great answer. Um, Okay, so another uh, topic you talk about in your podcast is well, is, is the th- three heavens. And we see that yeah. uh, Paul r- talked about and wrote about um, being lifted up to the third heaven. Right. Um, and, then, and then you have an episode, uh, I think, titled uh, Sea of Glass, um, where yeah. you have separation right. between uh, the second and third. Um, can, you, can you talk
0: about that? absolutely and samuel that really gets us back to uh, the topic that we began with about the world that then was yeah. if we're gonna if we're gonna explore the idea that the earth that as it was originally created was corrupted or polluted by satan and his rebellion then the judgment of the earth at that time was uh, in genesis chapter 1 verse 2 would explain the darkness would explain the water And all that water is submerging the entire planet because he's looking down and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Through the creative act of the next six days, you've got the dry land appearing and the gathering together of waters called sea. But then you've got a firmament that was used or created by God, rather, separating waters above it from waters below it. So we know the waters below it are the seas because he said so on one of the days, He gathered the dry land together in one place and it's earth and the, and the gathering together waters he called seas, but the water above the firmament would seem to be now frozen. uh, And if um, darkness was there, in other words, the love of money being the root of all evil, there must've been something Satan wanted wealth, you know, power, glory, whatever, to cause him to rebel against God. So he is the first sin of creation, if you will, the first act of transgression. And the Bible says by one man's sin entered into the world, which is Adam's rebellion or his disobedience. But it didn't say that by one man's sin entered into existence. Yeah. into the universe. So Lucifer's rebellion to me is before Adam was created and therefore the origin of sin, the origin of darkness, the origin of evil. Yeah. you know. And God foreknowing it would happen still made him because he had a purpose and a plan for you and I and the world. But nevertheless, uh, and as a result of the judgment, sin exists. He seemed to have made the, the earth the domain for Adam and man and yeah. gave him dominion over it. But Satan and his angels are still powers. They're called principalities and powers. They're called, He's called the God of this world. And their realm appears to be in the starry heavens, or what we would call outer space, which the Bible refers to as the second heaven. Because yeah. we've got birds flying in the open firmament of heaven. Well, we know that has to be the atmosphere, because that's where birds fly.
2: Yeah.
0: That would be the first heaven. And we know there's at least three, because Paul said he was caught up to the third heaven in, in 2 Corinthians 12. So if the the third heaven is where God's throne is, then it would make sense that the sea of glass is the frozen deep that separates God's throne from the tainted creation. Yeah. God is holy. He can't be in the presence of sin. So that sea of glass, and to me, is typified in things like the parting of the Red Sea, where the redeemed of the Lord went over, you know, uh, and and the sea, incidentally, as you recall in the book of Exodus, was like a heap on the left and the right. You know, when, I, when Israel walked on dry land in the Red Sea, mm-hmm. I mean, God could have built a bridge. <laughs> he sure. could have made a boat, uh, yes. you know. He could have done any number of things. He could have helivacked them if he wanted to, you, you know. know but he parted the sea. And yeah. when the uh, Pharaoh and his armies went in after them, the sea came in on them and drowned them all. So it's a picture of God's judgment in water, as he's done before with yeah. Noah, and he did before, in my opinion, with the um, the fallen angels. But also, um, he brought the redeemed over through the water to the promised land, if you will, given the yeah. fact that there was some rebellion and 40 years of wandering. Yeah. But Canaan is still the target, <clears throat> and in that sense, a type of heaven, excuse me, <clears throat> Absolutely. And so therefore, it's a picture to me of ultimately, when Jesus Christ died and became the perfect sacrifice, and he ascended up to the Father, he made a way through the sea of glass for man to gain access to the throne of grace. And it, when wow. you think about it, Ezekiel sees God on his throne through a vision in, Je- in Ezekiel chapter one, where four cherubs, the living creatures, are... Um, flying if you will uh with a firmament over them you yeah. like the terrible crystal and then god's throne is above that and he sees him from the vantage point of the earth looking up but john in revelation chapter 4 is called up through a door into heaven and he stands on the sea of glass yeah. and writes what he sees in god's throne room directly the difference being christ made a way for john to go up
1: yeah hmm so let me go back to the garden, then I I've, yeah. I've, I've you know, I've, I've heard that that teaching of, you know, Canaan, you know, representing heaven, um, but I I heard it through, like, a, uh, <clears throat> representing a baptism. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I see that as a picture of the firmament as well. Um, yeah, and I think both, both
0: applications are justified. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, um, the Bible's uh, unique in that way, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, th- so then I want, I want to go back to the garden because, uh, ov- obviously, um, you know, we, we see this dichotomy of Satan be, being the prince of the power of the air, and you mentioned the second heavens, yet in the garden, he's on the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also have pictures of Satan being in the earth. Mm -hmm. So um, my question is, uh, his role, is he able to have access at this time to more than
0: one realm? Yeah, that's a great question, Samuel. And I think um, it, it appears to me that Satan's access has changed or altered over the eons of time. Because obviously at one point he was like a king on the earth and basically God's greatest created being at one point, he appears to have led the worship of God in some sense, almost like a high priest in a way decked out with with precious stones, like the high priest of Israel and the ephod. But um, at one point he's there in the garden as the serpent talking to Eve as though he had free access to them. Yeah. At another point, he appears before God in the book of Job and says he's wandering to and fro in the earth going about, you know, as a as a he had like almost like a surveillance type of, you know, uh, process. And then later on, we see him as spiritual wickedness in high places in Ephesians six and such things as that. And it almost looks as though at some point maybe there's a limitation to him. For example, um in the ministry of Jesus Christ, there seems to have been almost an explosion of demonic activity, uh, possessions, and things like that that he cast out and healed yeah. in his ministry to Israel. And uh, today we don't see quite the same thing, which is not to say it doesn't happen, but I don't think it's near the extent uh, as we've seen, like Mary Magdalene with the multiple devils, or the 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 uh, the Gness, um, I've forgotten the term of the of the man with mit, of the tombs, you know, mm-hmm. not Gethsemane, but um, or maybe it is Gethsemane. I can't forget. Uh, but anyway, he, he cast out the 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 devils into the herd of swine. Yeah, right. Yeah. Which they went and choked themselves in the sea. And there's something about that too, yeah. uh, the, yeah. the water. <clears throat> but um, Christ's um, uh, defeat over Satan at Calvary. Seems to have set Satan back even further, when it it looked as though he was winning, and he defeated God's plan by crucifying Jesus.
1: Yeah. And
0: I, by the way, the episode I've got coming out tomorrow is called "The Bulls of Bashan," and it mm-hmm. talks about that when Christ, David through David, Christ says, "Many bulls of Bashan have gaged me." and surrounded me, and whatever, and we talk about the origin of that, and the the satanic influence of that, Um, so that there was an entire spiritual realm of wickedness at the cross with the mob that said crucify him, that were just jeering, and laughing, and probably dancing, thinking they defeated God, when in reality, Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he brought redemption to all mankind and triumphed over Satan. And that's why Paul said, had the princes of this world known this, they never would have crucified him. So it would appear that he's limited now, possibly through that act of, of triumph by Jesus Christ. But at some point when the war in heaven takes place and Michael and his angels cast him out to the earth, he appears to be confined to the earth again. And yeah. therefore, no longer has access to other realms, as you said.
1: Yeah, 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 I got gotcha. you. Um, so, I want to talk a little bit about um, heaven and hell, as far as you know, believers and non-believers. Uh, so, is it your understanding now? I mean, based on Paul's teaching of you know him his conflict of um, being with the Lord or um, continuing on. Um, in, in, in doing his, his work for the Lord. Uh, is it your understanding that as if, if a believer dies today, we have immediate access to the third heaven where, where God is um, on his throne?
0: I do. I, I believe, as Paul said, for me to depart and be with Christ is far better. He wasn't indicating any amount of time between departing and being with Christ, you know? Uh, he said it was far better. Um, some people teach, you know, the body dies and it sleeps. Uh, yeah. And like, you're literally, uh, your soul is asleep in a body somewhere. I, I can't find spiritual ju- or a scriptural justification for that, because the word sleep seems to be a euphemism for death and okay. not the yeah. actual process that a soul goes through. Yeah, You know, when it says David died and he slept with his father's you know, I mean, they're not all in one big coffin somewhere, you know, sleeping. Yeah, sleeping. Uh, he might have been buried with the other patriarchs in, in a similar location, but they they are very much alive and uh, like, you know, you see the Lazarus in Abraham's bosom, conscious, um, the, the rich man in hell seeing him afar off and wants Abraham to send him to dip his finger in water to cool his tongue. So he's clearly awake and not asleep there he may not be in the third heaven, but he's in paradise. You know, he's in that Mm -hmm. realm that was the place for the righteous, at least for some time, you know? Yeah. And therefore seeing him there speaking and conversing with Abraham indicates he wasn't asleep or soul wasn't asleep or something like that. And there's even a a reference in revelation chapter seven, I believe. and, And if not seven, it's six where um, there are the souls of them that were slain under the altar cry out, how long, O Lord, wilt thou not avenge our blood upon the earth? And they're clearly saints, and they're clearly aware of time passing, yeah. and they're conscious, and they're awake. So I don't know about soul sleeping and things like that. I can't find justification for it. But I do believe that since um, we've entered into this, people call it whatever they want, the church age, the dispensation of grace or whatever, yeah. since Calvary, when a, when a believer dies, I do believe they go be with the Lord. Yeah. And it's still an intermediate heaven. The third heaven is not the final heaven because there's yeah. going to be a new heaven. A new heaven.
1: Yeah. yeah, so um, I guess you answered my second. Kind of my follow-up question was there. It the Prior to the cross, if that was different, we see Jesus as the first fruits. And so, right. so you basically answered that prior to that. Um, there would have been... Um, you know, is your understanding of, of Sheol uh, in Abraham's bosom, mm-hmm. that paradise being in the earth, separated like a, like a chasm um,
0: described right. in, you know, Jesus's parable about Lazarus. Um, I, I completely agree with that, yeah. Samuel. The Sheol being the Hebrew equivalent of Hades or Hades for the Greek. Yeah. meaning the place of the dead not equivalent to hell right if you want to call hell the place of burning and torment that's a compartment of hades or sheol and then there's a place of comfort and rest and there's also a great gulf fix between them which is probably the bottomless pit but it could be something else
1: yeah so i want to talk about um hell now so in the same respect for a non-believer. Um, are they still in the earth um, being held uh, before a final judgment where we see um,
0: like a future hell? Is that, is that your understanding? It is. I I believe hell is still in the earth. There's a possibility that Abraham's bosom is still in the earth too, and it's still paradise and it's still a place of comfort and rest. And a lot of people think, you know, when Christ died, he led captivity captive and therefore he emptied out. Abraham's bosom and brought them to the third heaven as well. That may or may not be true, and, and I'm comforted either way. I, I like the thought of both. There, there tends to be a scripture that indicates that it might not be true because Peter, after the cross, talks about David not having ascended to heaven, but mm-hmm. but Christ did. And he's making the point that David spoke of Christ, not himself, uh, in in the psalm, but it still right. doesn't change the truth of the statement that if, why would God leave David in sheol or abraham's bosom if um you know he brought everybody else out you know so i'm not so sure that they necessarily uh, are out of there but if they are they're with the lord in heaven if they're not they're with the lord in paradise in the earth but therefore hell is still in the earth and it is essentially god's prison um and it's the prison for the unrighteous until that judgment as you spoke of And ultimately, those whose names are not found written in the book of life are going to be cast into the lake of fire, which will not be in the heart of the earth as hell is now, but it appears to be in Idumea or Edom. Hmm. It it seems to be on the surface of the new earth and will be there forever for the saints to see the unrighteous in their torment, which is a horrifying thought, but that's what the book of Isaiah seems to be pointing out.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's hard to... Hard, hard, to think about that, but yeah. um, you can see, you can see that same, I guess, sort of, precedence um, with the, the parable of Lazarus there with the exactly where they can see one another. Right, there's that yeah. used to
0: give me a, a, a drop. Um, yeah. sort of thing. Can you? I think about that. Can you imagine one drop of water on the end of a fingertip would give relief. Yeah. to a person in hell. I mean, I need a gallon of water after mowing the grass yeah. <laughs> on a hot day, you know? Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, so that leads me to um, a question which I've not heard you address on your no. podcast, so I might be throwing you a curveball here.
2: Okay, good. Um,
1: <laughs> but uh, so I want, I, want, I want to hear what you have to say about uh, ghosts um, because they they seem to be on the earth you know we know we have demons that are here um, uh, but ghosts seem to behave differently so uh, what are uh, what are your thoughts on ghosts
0: yeah that's a great subject to, to discuss at some point on a future podcast for myself and I'm going to probably have to delve into that at some point too because we get a lot of people writing us for topics and questions and we want to try to address them all eventually. Uh, My understanding right now, which might change when I do a a deeper dive study into it, though, is um, that I'm I'm not so sure that ghosts are truly the disembodied spirits of human beings. Um, I say that because of the nature of humanity and the way it seems that God made us. And I I mean humanity in the sense of from from the Bible's perspective, not from the, the current modern thinking of humanity. And that is that, you know, uh, God gives the spirit, and then the spirit returns to the Lord that gave it when we die. So I I don't know that a lost person would be able to escape hell. I mean, are they in hell without their spirit? You know, is it just a soul? And because the body would decompose ultimately on the, you know, Earth somewhere, so the unbeliever in hell must have his spirit and his suke or soul intact, uh, and that soul is almost like a body. And there's a there's a description that Jesus gave of the body in hell, where he likens it unto where their worm dieth not, and that's another horrifying thought uh, that that maybe the lost person degenerates into like a worm-like creature, you know, to spend eternity. Yeah, uh, but. I, I have a hard time thinking that a lost person's spirit could wander out of the prison of unrighteous hell and wander around on the earth somewhere. Uh, and then the righteous, if they died, why would their spirit be left to roam the earth when the promises of being with the Lord in glory? So it's hard for me to pinpoint that down. However, <clears throat> the, um, my understanding is there's a possibility, and the Bible does not make this clear. But if we know who Satan is and the fallen angels are, and the fallen angels, in my opinion, are not demons, you know. right? Uh, demons are something else. They're a lower order of evil, but they're certainly not angels. You know, fallen angels are the archons, the principalities and powers, but something, something else is a demon. And while, you know, it's not scripture, uh, there's a lot of people lately interested in the book of Enoch, and uh they're talking about you know some of that and i take that book with a grain of salt it's historically significant i'll give it that you know yeah but we don't know that that book is the very uh scripture that jude is citing or peter cited so uh whatever we have today if god had wanted it in the canon of scripture he would have put it there you
2: know yeah
0: uh however it is their contention that when the Uh, sons of God took the daughters of men in Genesis six, which we know is true according to the Bible and that giants were born unto them. That was the large reason for why God had to flood the earth in the days of Noah, because of the hybridization of humanity and angels with um, Satan trying to prevent the seed of the woman from being born to bruise the head of the serpent, right? He was trying to infiltrate the bloodline of man. So Christ wouldn't be able to be the redeemer. And, he failed in that, but it, the book of Enoch contends that the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim or giants from that age became the demons or devils that Christ encountered in the New Testament. Yeah. Now, that may or may not be true, but it seems plausible that that might be their source since they're unlike the other entities, yeah. cherubs, fallen angels, whatever. So that might be the case. But why would... <clears throat> God allow humans to do the same thing. If, if, um, if, uh, if a person dies and they become a devil or a demon or a ghost or whatever, um, it it seems like that's going against his scriptures. You know, Uh, if it doesn't go against the scripture, if that might be true for the giants, since they're not human, you know, they're hybrids, and maybe that's the reason why there's no real place for them yeah mm-hmm. until the end judgment you know so yeah. that's that's my contention that i don't know yet what i believe about ghosts other than i'm not sure they're actually ghosts but they're probably demons imitating the departed
1: i gotcha i gotcha okay yeah it's um it's one of those mysteries. i think i've only read um what chris putnam uh wrote in like i think supernatural worldview on, on okay. the topic um and, and, and that's really about it, but it's, it's one of those mysteries, um, we don't have much to glean off of, other than, you know, I think he mentioned that, uh, you know, that's how, you know, Christ uh, appealed to the disciples, saying, look, look, I'm, I'm not a ghost, um, right. of course, the witch of Endor, so those are, um, you know, but outside of that, you know, it's just human experience, so.
0: Well, that's I, a good point, you bring that up, and Chris Putnam, too, because, um, if the witch of endor when she conjured up um, samuel he was not a ghost he was in abraham's bosom yeah. and she literally saw him and screamed and if she'd been doing that all along why would she scream you know to <laughs> uh, see she saw something different obviously yeah and so it doesn't appear to be like a ghost appearing it appears like mm-hmm. they took a glimpse into abraham's bosom mm-hmm and could see him there and then when you talk about christ of course not being a ghost he said a spirit hasn't doesn't have flesh and bone as you see me have but it also said that after he rose from the dead many of the saints which slept arose and appeared to many and they would have appeared in their bodies you know they would have because how would they have known they were the saints that slept unless they recognized them yeah and how would we recognize a ghost you know hollywood's phantasm of a ghost is not necessarily what is reality
1: yeah absolutely Awesome. Um, okay, so let me ask you about um, the Antichrist. I, uh, you know, and you mentioned that your understanding um, is that he is a human that is possessed by Satan. Is that correct? And, and sort of the, um, the type of that would be Judas Iscariot.
0: Absolutely. Uh, in fact, Judas, um, when he died, If the Bible says he hanged himself and then he went to his own place and he's the only person in the Bible besides the antichrist who's called the son of perdition.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: And the son of perdition ascends out of the bottomless pit. So it's possible that the thing in Judas, Judas was a man, but the thing in Judas, because it says the devil having entered into him when he betrayed Jesus so that could have been this thing that's going to enter into the Antichrist. It's somehow controlled by Satan, but it's, it's like Satan's own special minion or servant or whatever that he empowers when the time is right. So, uh, and I'm not saying this in any sense to be like reincarnation at all. That's not what I mean. Yeah. But if that creature or that devil or demon or whatever it is that was in Judas uh, could come out of the bottomless pit and enter into another man, then that he's a different man but it's something spiritual going on that's that's wicked obviously and also that uh if if he is a man uh the scripture seems to prophesy that he's going to be killed by a gentile uh you know like a like with a sword uh yeah. there's reference to his deadly wound being healed right mm-hmm. and the, the timing of that seems to culminate with whoever this man is the man of sin He's going to think himself to be some great leader, military, whatever. He'll gain control of the world, evidently, and then be killed about the same time that Michael and the war in heaven takes place. So when Lucifer is cast out with his angels, um, that would be the perfect time for him to bring Antichrist back to life on the third day, emulating Jesus so that he can declare himself to be god hmm. so that's probably how he will possess him in that sense is he will he will empower him by raising him from the dead wow. some sort yeah. of a, like he might be sort of a, an automaton or a zombie or maybe it's ai or something like that but <clears throat> when they set up an image to him it's set up in the temple so that's the abomination spoken of by daniel
1: gotcha so you think that this is just a a, a carnal man and then you know, we see really at that at the beginning of that three and a half year period we call it the Great tribulations where we see mm-hmm. man being healed of the mortal uh, head wound and that is that same possession that we that we saw with the Judas Iscariot um, um, yeah son son of perdition so uh, f- let me ask about so your understanding of, aliens and the uh, UFO and uh, abduction phenomena these are fallen angels um, and so how does that coincide with uh, the war in heaven and the great tribulation and end times
0: yeah that is such a great question Samuel because I think the um, the timing of things right now revealing of declassified items. Clearly, there's some sort of technology out there that's advanced beyond our capabilities, Um, regardless of what it is. Yeah. And uh, that much I think the governments are admitting. Now, are they admitting they're communing with aliens or devils or what? No, Uh, they're not saying that yet. But um, what would make sense to me, and this is just a subjective supposition, yeah, is that when the, when the angels do engage in battle and Satan is cast out with his angels, <clears throat> they're going to be confined to the earth evidently in a way that they're seen. I, I'm going to suggest that they'll be seen. Yeah. And they're not going to admit defeat. You know, Satan's a liar and the father of it. So he's going to appear a perfect disguise might be, we're your alien ancestors. And we've come back to bring you to your next stage of evolution. Take this mark and you can be like us. Yeah, same. You can evolve and we'll prove it works by raising this leader that has just been killed from the dead. You know, it's healing powers are there. And that's why I say things like, you know, what's going on with COVID and whatnot. I don't believe the vaccines are the mark of the beast, not for a minute. They don't match the scripture types. But could it be? A way for the satanic global elite to means test whether or not humanity is ready for something like this, you know, even though it's a real thing, a real sickness and a real vaccine or whatever. Uh, but the forced compliance, the the fear that's been created over it, all that kind of stuff. You know, you can talk all day long about the 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 pluses and minuses or, or the conspiracies about COVID. Yeah. But whatever it is, it does seem like the the controlling global powers have gotten the the population fearful of it enough to where almost anybody's willing to give up their freedom and liberty to comply uh, through it. So if this was a means test to see if we're ready, I think we failed (laughs) or or passed depending on which perspective you have. And therefore they're thinking, okay, if they're ready for this, they're ready for the next thing. And the next thing might be It's time to reveal the so-called alien ancestors, Yeah, which is going to be perhaps the great deception. Because I try to think about the variety of religion today, and not just in Christianity and denominations. I mean all religion. Yeah. What in the world is going to unite a Muslim person, a Hindu person, a Buddhist person, a Jewish person, a Christian person, so to speak? Yeah, not not a true believer, but people that identify as Christian, Taoist, whatever, and put away hundreds, if not thousands of years of theology for this guy is, in fact, God, this guy is the Christ, we should worship him and take his mark. It's got to be a deception. So perplexed, so convincing, rather so compelling, that they would throw away everything for it. And what would change humanity more than if a bunch of starships showed up? And said, "There's no gods. We're gods. This is God, you know. And we yeah. have this technology and this power. Because if you think about the technology you have right now, if you could go back two thousand years, you would seem a sorcerer or a god or a magician yeah. or something with an iPhone or a or a tablet or an automobile yeah. or anything, a laser weapon. So, um, if their technology is so much more advanced than ours, they can, in a sense, say." we're gods yeah which incidentally is exactly what the serpent said to eve if you eat this tree you'll be like gods so i think that's the 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 ultimate deception
1: all right so this will be my last question and then we'll kind of shift to a a different direction just do some like short fun questions okay um is this is um based off something i heard in your podcast as well so you mentioned earlier um you know post uh calvary um we are in this gentile age church age uh you know dispensation of grace um and for a lot of prophecy teachers they point to israel as you know here god's timepiece or you know they'll note the significance of them being um a nation, being named a nation in 1948, Mm -hmm. and uh, that being a a marker of this being the generation uh, that will see Christ return. Um, So I guess my question for you, Israel being restored, do you see that happening? after Christ returns or before Christ returns, um, and how does that tie in with what we're seeing happening with Israel? Uh, I guess since
0: 1948. Yeah, that is really the $64,000 question right there. That's the one that I am still trying to put together. <clears throat> and and my thing is this: I am not um, I am pro-Israel in the sense that I want to have peace with them, trade with them. And have good relationship with Israel. So, you know, once again, I am not at all against people being in the land of Israel uh, and, and calling themselves Israel. Are they the Israel of God is the real question. And could this be the group that is going to be God's restored people? And the answer is, I don't know. Uh, and a lot of Christian evangelicals and even Jewish Zionists want to say, yes, it's us. It's it's we. It's fully documented. And, and they may be right. And I actually kind of hope they are, because if that is the case, then we are that much closer yeah. to the time. You know, so I have no personal bias one way or the other in that. But scripture, as I understand, it seems to be pointing to something else. First of all, the battle of Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 38 and 39 seems to indicate that that is the point in time when God is going to acknowledge he's their God again, and they are his people. Because I contend that the kingdom offered by Jesus Christ to Israel in the three-year ministry that he had was the kingdom of heaven national salvation program for that nation. That got rejected. He's the king. You can't have a kingdom without a king. So when that crucifixion takes place, their transgression as a nation was to reject Messiah. Yeah. And therefore, the Bible says in the book of Hosea, I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. You know, In their affliction, they will seek me early. So the affliction of seeking God, there seems to be a point in time when the nation is going to recognize we were wrong. We confess it. We were we were um, scattered because of our transgressions. They're going to go back and seek the Lord. The modern nation Israel, which I have no problem with, I don't see the convergence happening. The confession. I don't see Israel as a uh, as a people coming to a saving knowledge of Christ or anything. You know, yeah. there's they have their d- divisions of Judaism and things like that, and that's fine. Um, but. I don't see the confession has been made in a national sense. Doesn't mean a Jewish person couldn't get saved. They do, uh, yeah. just like a Gentile person. Um, but it it says from that time forward in the in this battle of Gog and Magog, they will know that they're my people, and he will no more hide his face from them. So there's some pivotal event that seems to be taking place in that battle. And that battle is unique because it's, you know, Gog and Togarma and Meshach and Tubal and all these nations, Persia, whatever. And um, they appear to be fighting a battle with wooden instruments because they spend uh, seven years burning the instruments for fire, firewood. So um, the, the weapons of war. So it looks like a major change has to take place in this world almost like uh, maybe an EMP or something that renders all electronics, uh, you know, unusable. Un- I don't know. But uh, if, if I believe the scriptures mean what they say, something is about to happen. And Isaiah 24 talks about the earth reeling to and fro and turning upside down. So there could be coming a cataclysmic change on the earth that could also render technology ineffective or inoperable. And we're back to living in a much more primitive form such that when that battle takes place, that's the case. So in that time when they're attacked by God, they're a people that d- were brought back from the sword, living safely without walls and bars and gates. And that doesn't match modern Israel today. So I contend that when Christ said the parable of the man that found the treasure hid in the field and he with for joy, he sold all that he had and he bought it and he hid it. I think that's a picture of God's Israel. They are his treasure. And he will restore them as a people. And there is going to be an Israel of God. Uh, but I don't know who they are. And I don't think he wants anyone to know who they are. And if they are the current occupants of Israel, praise God. I hope they are. And maybe they're hidden in plain sight, you know. Uh, and But it wouldn't surprise me if God pulls a 180 on Satan, because that's what he does. And there's a completely different group of people that might actually be the historical Israel. I don't know. Um, and, uh, but it wouldn't make any difference to me, which one it was. I hope it's soon, you know,
1: excuse Hmm. me. Okay. So hmm.
0: it's definitely out of the mainstream thinking of most Christianity today. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and it's not that I don't want that group to be the Israel of God, the the occupants of the land right now, if they end up being God's Israel, praise God for it because like I said, there's not much left to do for that to begin, you know, other than their confession, like I said. <clears throat>
2: yeah,
1: yeah. I think I've heard, um, I, think, I think this is uh, Chris White's understandings that that Gog-Magog war, uh, war is um, at the end of um,
0: the millennial reign. Um, well, there is one, actually, so there's two separate battles that I see, Because the one for Gog and Magog at the end, after Satan is loosed, uh, after the thousand years he's in prison uh, in the bottomless pit, that's a different group. It's not the same group as Ezekiel 38 and 39. And when you compare the two, you can see they can't be, because why would they be burning weapons for seven years when God delivers the city Jerusalem from the hand of Gog and Magog and Satan himself? at the end of the millennium and then immediately goes to the great white throne judgment and a new heaven and a new earth
1: yeah good there's point. no
0: need for an intervening seven-year period of time to burn the weapons of war yeah yeah of course You're burn the whole thing up and just start with a new heaven and a new
1: yeah earth. that's a good point yeah. all right so let me uh <clears throat> shift gears here um just kind of go for some fun questions uh let's start um favorite bible book character and a verse
0: Oh, yeah, okay. So my favorite uh, Bible character would have to be Paul the Apostle, just because of all that he went through, all that he wrote, and uh, the the just the extent of his ministry and and because of that ministry salvation came to people like us you know people from far far from from god and and uh without hope and without god in the world as the ephesians were so that brings me to my favorite book being the letter to the ephesians and i love them all you know it's it's hard to pick one and then tell you that it's your favorite but just the majesty of the ephesian letter to me because of the verse which is also my favorite verse of chapter 3 verse 20 where Paul says now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. And that just gives me hope no matter how bad things look.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Great answer. Um, So now, uh, favorite movies, TV shows, uh, music, and books?
0: You know, lately, I have been totally enjoying The Chosen series. I don't know if you've seen it yet or not, but uh,
1: thinking that i've heard of it actually yeah uh, i'm not seeing yeah. it
0: it's a it's a series you know a, a lot of christian type programs uh have traditionally been somewhat less than professional looking over the years just because yeah. maybe their budgets were smaller and we're used to bigger uh, special effects from hollywood and things like that you know and which is not to put them down in any way but they tend to just not rise to the caliber it's like going to hear a singer in karaoke night versus going to hear a professional yeah. <laughs> jazz singer at a really, really good club. Yeah. Um, but uh, The Chosen is, is um, the, the son of um, one of the authors of the Left Behind series, Jenkins, I think, uh, uh, last name Jenkins, and it's, it's a series about the ministry of Jesus Christ to Israel on the earth, and uh, it's done with scripture basis but they fill in the gaps of what the scripture doesn't even talk about with fiction, but in an entertaining way, like Peter has a wife, Mm -hmm. you know, why was he called by Jesus? Because he owed a bunch of taxes to Rome Uh, and he was about to get in a lot of trouble. Mm -hmm. Uh, Matthew, the tax collector knows Peter and knows he's in arrears and he's going to try to go after him and Matthew gets called and he's good at counting because he's sort of an OCD kind of guy and he doesn't like to touch anything dirty you know, and it's really brilliant. They, they bring in that human element of Jesus, the human element of the people that have no names, like the wives of some of the apostles or the mothers or parents, uh, like the father of John and James Zebedee, uh, you know, all of that. And they tell a beautiful story. It is so well done. And yeah. I look forward to every episode. So Ooh. I would encourage anybody to check it out as far as a TV show. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite movie is Casablanca.
1: Okay. With Humphrey Bogart
0: and Ingrid (laughs) Bergman.
1: Awesome. Uh, What about music and books?
0: Uh, Jazz is my favorite music. I grew up in South Louisiana. The jazz influence from New Orleans, just in my blood. Um, And I love most jazz artists, uh, you know, to some extent or less. Uh, I listen to all kinds of music, but that's definitely my favorite. Uh, My favorite book, uh, besides the Bible usually it's non-fiction i'm not a huge fan of fiction myself yeah i used to read a lot when i was a kid and i loved edgar rice burroughs who wrote tarzan and uh books like that but um <clears throat> there's a book called heaven by randy alcorn i highly recommend it's one of the best scripturally based revelations of what's actually in heaven that i've ever seen cool and it's been extremely encouraging and then my other favorite book is judgment of the nephilim by ryan Peterson. And uh, if you haven't read that, it is an eye-opening book about the giants of Genesis 6. It's fantastic.
1: Cool. cool. Uh, awesome. What do you like to do uh, in your free time?
0: When I have free time, right. I'm usually yeah. doing projects around the house with my wife, yard work. Uh, and if we don't have anything to do, we go out to eat. Uh, we love to go. Um, sometimes we'll go try to find a jazz club or something or uh, another restaurant we've never been to before, and then try something new food wise. So, yeah, yeah, we like to eat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> awesome. Uh, so that actually ties in with my next question, which was the last question. Um, mm-hmm. If you could have dinner with five people, dead or alive, who would you choose?
0: Yeah, that one was the hardest one to think about because you know what you hate to limit that, but I I decided to go with the, the musical influences that have most. Um, uh, spoken to me over the years yeah so my five guests at dinner would be Nat cole cool Louis armstrong cool ella fitzgerald wow george benson and miles davis cool. i'm the only white guy at dinner for this one but those are my yeah. heroes you know
1: no i think that's <laughs> what you do is to is to theme it where you have you know five you know six people that can can all get together and talk about you know one certain thing. So uh, that seems like that would be a, a hip group, man.
0: Well, my thing is we'd have such great conversation for dinner, and then I would hopefully encourage them all to pick up an instrument mm-hmm. and just jam <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Awesome. and let Ella sing us home.
1: Yeah, that's great. Um, cool. Uh, well, why don't you tell us, um, you know, how how we can uh, attend some of your church services. Um, and how how we can listen to your podcast and get in touch with you.
0: Absolutely. And thank you so much for that offer. Uh, We appreciate it so much, Samuel. My ministry is going to be, anything you need to know about us is at utbnow.com. U like uniform, T like tango, B like bravo, and the word now. And that's short for Unlock the Bible Now, which ties us into the umbrella ministry, if you will, of my podcast. So utbnow.com, you can find our online audio Bible lessons, which I've recorded numerous audio lessons over the years. We have a live online study, which currently is going to be through Zoom, but we may be upgrading that soon to be something you can just access through like Facebook or maybe Vimeo and not have to actually click on a login link, but just attend. And then of course, our podcast, you could subscribe to through any podcast service. It's called Bible Mysteries we're on Apple, we're on um, you know, Android, whatever device you have. And then uh, Grace Family Bible Church is our local uh, assembly. Uh, we're in the city of Seguin, Texas. Uh, we meet every Sunday morning, 10 o'clock and 1115. Uh, we also uh, webcast our services now. Uh, right now, again, through Zoom, but we may be changing that very shortly here. And then I do a Wednesday night study as well. That's the live online study, and that's 7.30 Central every, every Wednesday night. So anybody's welcome to join us. And if you want to do that, you just go to utbnow.com and click on the uh, live online study, and there's a link you can click to send me a request to join you, because I need to send you the Zoom link in an email for you to join us. Uh, yeah. We don't post it there simply because we want to make sure that anybody that wants to come into the meeting actually wants to be there yeah. and didn't, uh, you know, just click on it out of accident or something like that.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Well, I really enjoyed our conversation, man. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on.
0: Well, thanks for having me, Samuel. And I got to tell you, I'm excited. I'm going to go start, I've, I've subscribed to your podcast now. So <laughs> I'm going to be listening to you too and hopefully get some tips and steal some good ideas from
1: you. Right on. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Right back at you. We'll, 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 I'll be listening as well. Cool. Uh, that looks that's great. Yes. Yeah, so maybe I can have you on. Um, you know, somewhere down the line, we can, you know, find another topic to discuss as well.
0: Love to do that, and and hopefully I can have you on as well. Maybe sometime yeah, yes. I'll uh, I'll get you to be a guest. We've had guests before, and um, and Zena's a hoot. You'll love talking to her. Yeah. I I love how she approaches things with just a, a real uh, curious nature and exactly. innocence. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you so much. I have been a privilege to be here.
2: All right. all
0: right. We'll all keep in touch. Okay. Did you, you mentioned about closing in prayer? Did you want us oh, to course. do that? or No. Yeah, uh, please. Yeah, <clears throat> Okay. You got it. Well, then, Father, thank you for this time with Samuel. Uh, we ask your blessing upon both these podcasts, but particularly um, Samuel's uh, ministry, too. Uh, We know you're opening doors, Father, that are beyond what um, we could have even imagined before this technology existed. So we thank you for this capability. We thank you for your provision. And we just pray that you would cause our hearts and our minds to focus on the truth and present it as best we can. If anything is said that's wrong, we pray you take it from the hearing, but we pray that what's good and that you would refine it and strengthen every heart that hears it for Christ's sake. We ask it in his precious name. Amen. Amen all right samuel thank you so much yeah thank you (laughs) have a great rest of your weekend and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you soon oh and do maybe do pop in and let me know when that podcast is going to be available so i can tell my
1: people yeah i'll I'll send it to you okay thank you all right man take care see you bye-bye bye there you have it ladies and gentlemen If you enjoyed some of the topics we discussed in this episode, make sure to check out Scott's podcast, Bible Mysteries. We were only able to scratch the surface on most of what we discussed in this episode. So check his out if you want to see some of these topics that we discussed with more detail and scripture in a way that we just weren't able to do in this episode. If you enjoyed it, be sure to share, like, subscribe, leave us a rating review, and we'll catch you on the next one.